What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. It's the canine paradigm. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. My name's Glenn Cook and I'm in studio with my co-host, Pat Stewart. Hello. And once again, we have the honour and privilege of Mr. Chad Macken. Hey guys, what's going on? Just before you're about to hit a plane and head back to the US and A. Yep, this will be my last night down under, so they say. Down under? Yes. Oh, God. Okay. Did you just qualify as our horny guest? Yeah, just then. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we just got back. Yeah. We just got back to Sydney. Jay's already gone. Chad flies out tomorrow. Yeah, and we just did the whirlwind tour of the east coast of Australia. It's been crazy. It's been it's been crazy fun, but crazy like you know, busy, busy, busy. But I gotta say, I I am really, really, really blown away by the camaraderie of the trainers here. Like one of the things that's been real interesting for me is I've been because we've been working working so much because we've been working so much. I've been pretty much almost non-existent on social media the whole time I'm here. And so when I do check in, I've noticed something has changed within myself. I think over the years I've developed sort of a callus for the sort of complaining bitchiness that is so prevalent in the mm. dog training world, the backbiting, the, you know, going out of your way to say why somebody else is an idiot or an asshole or something like that. And being surrounded by people here who don't behave that way, like in person, like on social media, people are different. I know that, but surrounded by real dog people who are supportive and helping each other and want to see everybody succeed. When I tune into that, that callus that I've developed over the years is, you know, it's, it's, it's gone. And I'm like going, wow, this is really, really unpleasant. And I'm not enjoying it as much. It's funny to hear you say that Chad, because when I was in the States over at your conferences, I found that Maybe it's just something that we're used to in our own home environment because I actually found that a lot of your colleagues were very supportive of each other and especially when it came to mentoring or referring clients over to each other. There's great people here. There's great people in the US. There's terrible people here and there's terrible people in the US. And unfortunately, you can't have the joy of existing in an industry without some odd people in there that make it uncomfortable for you and and very taxing at times. And I wouldn't say that at times I haven't been a pain in the ass to people. I wouldn't be that bold to say that I haven't been that person, but I'm not saying that I go out of my way to do it because generally these days I go out of my way to try and help people. I go out of my way to support the industry and a lot of the people in it because I, I think one of the best things that I was talking about before, uh, quite a while ago with Pat in another episode is one of the key principles that I recognised was that it's not always about you. And that's one of the things that dawned on me quite some time back. And a lot of people have said that to me over the years from having a martial arts background and just good people in general, good humans have basically said, mate, you know, like dump the ego 
not talking about me specifically, but just in general. They said, you, you get rid of the ego, you're going to have a much better time. You'll connect with people better. You'll enjoy life a lot more and it won't be so taxing on you. No, and I absolutely agree. And I think the issue, like I said, is not so much the people, it's the social media. Yeah. Like you become- It makes you brave. Well, not only that, but- People feel like they have to say something. Mm. Like I think there's this this push to put something out, to identify yourself, to uh, set yourself apart. And one easy, easy way to set yourself apart is just tell you tell why you're different from somebody else. Right. Yep. That's so you see something and you go, Oh, I don't like that very much and you say, Oh, you put a post up innocently enough, you say, Oh, I don't like that very much. But then what happens is a bump bunch of people jump in and go, yeah, that person's an asshole or that person's an idiot or I can't, what the fuck did I just watch sort of stuff. And then before you know it, you have this, just this bitch fest that maybe you didn't even tend to create, mm. you know, there's unintended consequences, but it's so easy to be negative. It's so easy to find fault. It's like just, an, and this is the problem I had. I had a conversation uh, with Brent and Kat mm-hmm. in, uh, in Melbourne about this is like, what, how do you say, how do you get online and say, there's a fundamental need in the human species to find fault with others and we should avoid that without becoming part of that same problem of finding fault with others. <laughs> right. It's like, this is what I feel. I'm looking at this and I go, God, we're such a, a mean natured species. Like we just look for these things to complain about and we use social power to oppress others and we shouldn't be doing that. But by saying that I'm participating in that sort of, behavior and i don't know the solution to it but it's a problem Mm. as i've said to i think i've said to you and we've possibly said it on here before pat and i've done some podcasts before that sort of transgressed into becoming angry podcasts that were less about being fun and informative and more about just um, being a bitch having a bitch yeah and it was more about (laughs) ripping into someone or a group or something like that where we've pretty much hashed out an hour and a half and we look at the discussion we've had but got to the end of it and said just trash it it's no good there i mean there's even times where i've thought it was okay and pat's just said oh i don't think that's what we want to put out there that's not the message that we're looking to sell do you remember one time we did one and i was sitting here like this i mean it's podcast people can't see but i took my headphones off and hung them over the mic like i do every time i was like okay and now delete that (laughs) yeah yeah we with the dog training conversations podcast we went through a period probably about six months in where there were four or five episodes in a row where we were just you know, just bitching about what what's what things in the industry that irritated us and and people that we didn't like, not people, ideas we didn't like. Like we never call people out by name. That's one of our rules we had since, had from the beginning is don't name names. You talk about ideas, not people. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they were still pretty much bitch fests, and we got some negative feedback from that. And and I didn't realize that that's what was going on. And but what happens is you start to become when you have a voice. And you can advocate for ideas and things. People begin to contact you and try to get you to advocate for the thing they want advocated for. Mm. And so what ended up happening was we started getting, Jay and I both started getting emails and Facebook messages with videos of trainers doing unconscionable things to dogs in the name of training. Like it's all you're seeing every day is this video of this terrible training style or this video of this terrible training style or screenshots from some group where they're advocating some crazy insane stuff and it just it gets under your skin like you i couldn't sleep i would go to sleep thinking about these dogs that were being treated in these terrible ways and Mm. and their owners are paying somebody to do this to them and have no idea what their dog is experiencing 
and the injustice of it would just get, and I have finally had to say, stop sending me the stuff. Hmm. I can't help these dogs. I cannot help them. The only way I can help them is what I'm doing now, which is put out content to counteract that stuff. Not to say this is a bad idea because nobody cares if I think it's a bad idea. Mm. But if I show what I can do, I explain the way I work and I come here to Australia. And, you know, if I can put out good content of good training, what I believe to be good training, then that's how I can counteract that that problem. That's the only way I can do it. Telling somebody else they're wrong ain't going to change a thing. You know, and proving someone else wrong doesn't prove me right in the first place. Mm. So it's difficult. It is. Look, I have to say, being objectional sometimes when you watch bad work, it's hard not to say that's bad work. It is a difficult thing to say. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna beat around the bush on that one. It's hard not to be critical in those times. And I mean, if somebody asks you, like, if they say, "What do you think of that work?" and you know that it's bad work, it's very tough to try and phrase it in a positive or an optimistic way where it doesn't come across a little bitchy sometimes. It I, is difficult. I drew a line in that a while ago, a couple of years ago, where I decided I wasn't going to fight with anyone online. I never say that there's anyone else's bad work. And I put out, like I don't put heaps of videos on, on Facebook and stuff, but the things I do are, are usually things I'm doing that are, I'm, I think are a bit different to what most people are doing just mm. for entertainment value. But I do defend good work. So that's yeah, or, or I right. explain good work. Mm. So the only time that I – like I, I sort of had a – what happened was I was in a, a, a back and forth with a, a positive-only zealot and I was being as civil as I possibly could be. And, and in fact, I invited her to come and, and watch me train for real. Yep. And I said, you you won't find anything that you would actually disagree with. My dog may be wearing a prong collar, but have you ever actually seen anyone use one? And she said, no. And I was like, look, I could show you how this is actually going down. It's not how you're envisioning. Mm. You can see how it's actually working. And at the time I had a, a, a dog that I don't have anymore, but was um, teaching just to come back with a toy. So it was just the slightest amount of pressure on this prong collar and the dog was coming in. And I, she just had, it was in her mind, it was a yank and crank. That's all that could be done with a yep. prong collar. And I was trying to show her, and this is like for a light amount of pressure. And we were explaining this and she was being reasonably civil about it. And then I found out from someone else that, she was like baiting me and was con- like screenshotting all this stuff and putting it into another group and, and missed like, fortunately, you know, you, you can't mis- misrepresent people so much when it's written Yeah, and you could only put what I'm saying. But anyway, I just decided I'm not, I'm not buying into this shit anymore. I'm not, mm. I'm not having Facebook arguments with anybody. I'm not arguing online. And the, the, the catalyst for the, the, the key thing was I was also at the same time I was messaging her, messaging clients about stuff, right? And I realized I'm giving this lunatic my time who I don't like. I don't like her. I'm giving her my time and I'm charging people who I do like <laughs> for the pretty much the same information. And I was like, this mm. is totally wrong. Like this isn't my job to try and convince her of this. This it, is ridiculous. It is sad when you get into those, you need to validate yourself or your technique to people who yeah. are doing everything they possibly can to misinterpret. Yeah. And you. people are coming to me to learn this technique yeah. and, and paying for the, to do it. And mm. I realized, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I, giving this to her for free yeah. and, and she's not going to use it. And it's just, it's like a total waste of time. So I just decided that was the day I said, no, nah, I'm done. I'm mm-hmm. done. I'm done arguing with anyone online. And the only time I do it is when I see people who misinterpret good training. Yeah. So the only time I ever, you know, I saw just recently, oh God, it's not even recently. It was a couple of months ago, but someone was bashing. It was a cop using a flexi lead for detection on a vehicle and they're like, oh, since when would the police use a flex lead? And I was like, I just wrote, like, this is the best use of that tool in that job. He's mm. He's got to search the car next to a highway. 
he can do that one hand. He, he obviously doesn't, it's a busy highway. He doesn't want to have his dog off lead. He doesn't want to have to operate a long line with two hands because it was a, within the scenario, it was a high risk pitcher. Yep. So he wants a hand for his gun and he needs a hand to control the dog. I was like, the flexi lead is the perfect tool. And I'm impressed that he did that. Hmm. And then there was a back and forth about flexi leads. <laughs> every tool has an application. Yeah. And that's I mean, a perfect that's a, application for that yeah, one. Every tool has an application. Isn't the funny thing, like like balance trainers are in some ways they're they're some of the worst offenders in this because like they will go, Don't try and take my e car, don't try and take my prong car. It's the fool, not the tool, right? And you know, they they say all this stuff, but then you mention flexilead and they're like, Oh, they should be out oh, they're, yeah, they're yeah. dangerous, they're stupid, you know. Like we actively fight as a community to avoid sort of that I wrote something earlier this week and I've been quoting it quoting the idea a lot, is that we shouldn't use the worst example of something mm. in order to determine its value, mm. which is what, if we do that, we're going to be painting everything. Yep. And that's what they, they do with the e-cars. They see some terrible video with an e-car. They go, oh, this is how this tool is used. Oh, there's always a poster child for it, isn't there? Right. Like anytime you look on social media, which we're primarily what we've had this discussion about or started it off on, such as the prong collar, when they put that picture of that dog with pressure or necrosis sores on its neck and made that like the international poster child of how a prong collar will cause damage to a a dog's neck. Just craziness. Yeah, well, they do the same thing with the flexibilities. The balance trainers do that. They show somebody got – I mean, yeah, they they can be dangerous. Yeah. But I know trainers have blown out their knees with long lines. Mm. Like like the idea that because someone can get injured with one, it's therefore a dangerous thing. It's just, it's silly, but it's because we don't use the tool. So we don't, we don't care if they ban it because it's not something we use every day. Yep. If somebody tried to ban clickers, how many balanced trainers would jump up and go, no, you can't do that. They go, oh, fine, whatever. I don't care. Mm. Someone tries to ban head halters or no pull harnesses. No, that's fine. I hate those things. Right. It's only wrong to ban tools when we use the tool. Mm. And that's the hypocrisy of the balance side of the spectrum. I think we need to fix that because, you know, if we allow the argument to be used against things we don't like, that argument will be used against things we like sooner or later. It comes back to the concept, don't ban it, educate people. Yeah. And that's what, and even our government, I mean, I'm very critical of the way, not not just the Australian government, worldwide governments, that they seem to, rather than collaborate with people who are clever, or well-informed or educated to come up with a concept where they can say, let's not throw everything in the bin. Let's create an education process. Let's make it difficult for the wrong people to get their hands on these type of things. We could even put the education where the proceeds of the education go back into educating people further in schools or something, whatever it is. I don't know. It's a, it's a bit of a pipe dream conversation. Mm-hmm. But the reality is if they turn around and they said, let's make this an educational process where if you want to use a remote trainer, if you want to use a prong collar, you need to go to a qualified trainer who has practiced or, or developed a technique on that and go and work with them and then get certified in it. Yeah. Have some sort of statement or attainment or a national accreditation on it. Yeah. How could you argue that? No, I don't think anyone reasonably could. The only thing that you hear back from that is who's going to run that and are they shit at it? And and even if everybody that's listening, think of the the worst example of a real trainer that's using electrics and think of that person. Yeah. If that was the base level of knowledge and you could grow after that, it would still be better than just letting people go crazy by themselves. Well, the problem I think is that uh, like in the US, you know, in the US it's a very, very, this is a hot topic. Like, um, how do you start it? Like literally, the problem is, is that in our industry in this state, <laughs> is that so? Did you hear that? Yeah, I did. did it? it sounded like a like an old man groaning. <laughs> I don't know if that recorded. Way to break the mood. <laughs> in, in, in our industry in the U.S., um, 
the the people who have their finger finger on the pulse of the politicians, the people who are yeah. going to be influencers, they're coming from the positive side of the spectrum. Mm. Like for many years, for many years, you couldn't get a book published in the United States that, that even talked about correcting dogs because the positive community would shut it down. It wasn't until the dog whisperer became a thing mm. that even became an option for those people to get those books published. And so if you look at that as the culture, you go, if they're going to start licensing dog trainers, they're going to start, like the assumption yeah. is they're going to start regulating corrections. They're going to start enforcing a purely positive mindset. Yep. And so balanced trainers are terrified of regulation. And instead of going, how do we make the reg regulation what we want it to be? How do we get involved? How do we create a, a program to outreach to these politicians and make sure we get what we want to do? They're like, just shut it all down. Don't let them ever do it. In the United States, we're afraid of, like, historically, we're afraid of regulation. Mm. Like, that's our culture. Like, like people don't, I've had a lot of conversations since I've been here in Australia, and people just don't get that about us. But, you know, the fact is, we have, we're a nation that exists because we took up arms against what at the time was the greatest military in the world. Yep. Like a bunch of farmers took up arms against the... the against the British Army. Yeah. Yeah, well, the... And, the British colonists, yeah. And so to us, it's deep-seated in our culture to limit government, mm. to limit the influence of government. Because I, I don't I don't see that as such a bad thing, honestly. <laughs> I don't see that as such a bad thing. I, the issue that I do see in all of this is they, the government, look at a lot of these things and, and basically think, what's the popular topic? Yeah. What's going to swing me the vote? I don't know if I've ever... I don't. I wouldn't say ever. I don't know when I can remember the last time I looked at a, a government policy, where I thought that was really well informed, and they they listened to everybody, and they developed a good set of procedures and standards, based off interviewing all the stakeholders in the argument. Whereas this one, it seems like what's going to keep me in the job for the next four years? You know, if I go with the balance trainers, that seems like a minority vote. How could I? How could I sustain a position by doing that when these other guys on the other side of the spectrum seem to be gathering in mass? And we've discussed it here before, but I personally think the truth is if you know nothing about behavior, if you've never looked into behavior modification or know nothing about Skinner and the behavioralist, that sort of thing, and you just read the propaganda from both, one side's telling you that you do need – it is okay to use punishment, including an up to physical force – and another side saying that's totally unnecessary. Hmm. Uh, there's absolutely no need to do that, and you need nothing but positive reinforcement. And you don't know, you don't have the critical thinking or a background to figure that out. You're an asshole if you don't go with the positive reinforcement only people. Like if you don't know, then when you just look at it, you go, well, if that's the case, that's the case. People, well, most people look at it and go, I, I don't want to hurt dogs. Yeah, and uh, like for me, that's exactly how I got into dogs. This is, it, as we, we discussed here, when I first started researching and didn't have a dog to train on, when you're just looking at it, you go, oh, well, these guys are telling me I don't need to use any form of punishment, so why would I if I don't need to? And the irony behind all this argument, without having to try and cement our position, is that neither do we. Yeah, that's that's the that's a stupid thing. Is that neither do we. No, there's nobody in this room who who takes pleasure or joy or or finds it um, satisfying to hurt or harm dogs. Mm. In fact, I, I would say that we're all bastions against that type of treatment with dogs. Mm -hmm. Is that we're looking for the prolonged life. We're looking to um, we're looking to restore dogs back into a domestic house rather than finding that we're adding to a, a euthanasia list primarily backed on the fact that people can't control or trust their dogs in the home anymore, yeah. which is stupid. It's just a, it just keeps going around in circles. It's a crazy argument. 
And you know what though? Like, so you guys just did seminars in three cities in Australia. I was at all of them and I was at most of the private lessons. And I don't recall having seen anything that I would call a correction happen at any stage. And no dog wore anything other than a flat collar or a slip lead. That's it. I didn't see, not a single dog came out with a prong collar on anywhere and no electrics got used on any of the dogs. Mm. The only dog that came out with a prong collar on was mine. <laughs> and I want to point out that, that we made progress with all those dogs. Like we just, yeah, of there course. There noticeable yeah. changes in the 20, 30 minutes we were working with those dogs. And and yeah, it's sound behavioral principles. We use some negative punishment, mm-hmm. you know, um, take removal of opportunities, remove, removal of rewards. But in general, yeah, the, I mean... If if you accept on principle that most of the behavior problems, most of the reactivity you see, because that's mostly what we had, reactivity. Like mm-hmm. if you look at, we did the whiteboard and we say, what's the dog's name? What do you want to look on, work on? 90% of it was dog lacks confidence or dog is reactive, which in most cases is a dog who lacks confidence. If you take on face value that the dog lacks confidence, you know, as Jay says, you cannot punish confidence into a being. You know, you, you mm. just can't, you can't whoop their ass until they believe in themselves. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't. And so the whole idea is, is building confidence, which means we're not, we're going to avoid physical punishment as much as possible. We don't want to, as Jay says, spin that fear dial because mm. we want the fear system to atrophy. Yep. Like that's the whole point of building confidence is letting that part of the brain become less likely to fire through lack of use. So mm. we want to avoid that entirely. Like. Anytime you have to trigger that fear system, you are working against your purpose. So yeah, it's stupid. You know, people imagine all of this stuff. I mean, you look at Jay for crying out loud mm. and you got to imagine, like, if you don't know him, you're going to imagine he's just hammering away on dogs and he's so soft and so gentle with them. Mm. And it's the same thing. I feel like, the, you know, people don't, I hope people don't <laughs> look at me and think I'm that guy either. But the truth is I'm a big guy. You know, I'm not, I'm not a small man. And I think people assume that because I'm large, I have learned to use physical domination as a process. And the fact is I have to work hard on making myself smaller when I work with dogs. Well, I'm going to say something a little controversial and probably a bit, yeah, and a bit confronting at the moment. But I think being a guy in dog training these days is a point of being judged. Yeah. A point of being judged when you're a guy in dog training that automatically you're just there to beat on dogs. Yeah. Well, at that same crazy person I was talking about being an argument before, her line was not just guy, but guys with military backgrounds. That was the Oh wow. So she she just she just yeah. stacked it. Yeah. I mean, and that is a really unfortunate stigma. And I don't know where that's come from, especially when we're in an age where people are demanding equality and, you know, better treatment of personality types and so forth, that all of a sudden that stigma is starting to exist. That if you're a man you're automatically into punishing dogs, beating on dogs. Mm. I guess if we're going to put a message out, that sort of stigma has got to stop as well. I think people have got to be a little bit ready-minded that, I mean, look, I've seen either sex being hard on dogs before, Mm. and I don't think that's going to drop at any rate into the future. People are getting better. They're getting more educated. But they're also, I don't know, we're sometimes getting sillier about decisions we make too. Mm. Yeah, I don't find that to be as common in the U.S. as maybe it is here, because I, I don't think I've ever been accused of being, at least not directly. I mean, if it's if it's an unspoken assumption, it's just completely escaped my, my notice, <laughs> yeah. which is possible because I'm not so observant about between the lines stuff. I tend to believe people are telling me what they mean and meaning what they tell me. And, mm. and 
So I don't tend to look at what, what, what was the hidden meaning behind that. Like if they say something to me, I assume that they're telling me what they mean, which is probably a character flaw, but it makes my life more enjoyable, so to speak. But I don't think that's a problem that I see in the States. I don't think anyone's ever said, oh, you mo- you're a man, therefore you must be harsh on dogs. Yeah. But there is this assumption, like we're talking like uh, uh, at the workshop, the socialization workshop on Sunday or on Tuesday. Days are getting all screwed up. But at the so so- just blurred into one. <laughs> yeah. But at the socialization workshop, we're talking about the, the the reality of having to break up a dog fight if you have to break it up. And I'm telling people, you if you are not willing to bleed to stop separate these dogs, don't take the leashes off. Just don't. Like you are you're not Yeah, I saw yeah. the intro that you did on the video, like <laughs> saying that this is the stupid thing, so Yeah. Be careful. Yeah, but we're talking about this at the end and mm. people are people are like somebody raises their hand and they go, Well, you're a big guy. You know? You're a big guy. Like what what of uh, you know? What about us? Like, like, it's fine for you to say get in there and stop the fight, but what about us? We're small. We don't have that physical prowess, and it's like it has nothing to do with that. Like, you know, my other trainer in Chicago was, you know, I think she was 110 pounds. I don't know what that is in kilos, but it's not a lot. I mean, she's, you know, she's tiny. Yeah, it'd be about 50, 60 k, something like you know, that. Two point two. You know, yeah. but but she will if if something touches off. I have no doubt she's in there. You know, yeah, if she's got, if she's got mm. a, a big old Rottweiler to handle, she's probably not going to be as effective as I am. Mm-hmm. Mm. But she'll be in there trying. Yeah. She'll definitely get in there. And, and, and you know, but it's not so, again, it's, uh, Harry Truman said, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. Yeah, I'm and, a firm believer in that. And she's got a lot of fight in her. Like, if you walk in there, if you get in there and you say, I've got to handle my business, i got to take care of things, you'll be able to move those dogs out when you need to, I think. This Rottweiler that I'm pointing to up on my wall that the listeners can't actually see. This I is can't a- believe you had your dog stuffed, Glenn. <laughs> can't believe what? You had your dog stuffed. <laughs> yeah. She's, uh, yeah, and, and on the wall as well. It's just the head, guys. It's just I, the wanted, head. I wanted to get a dog stuffed once and Jamie was not about it. She's like, no, I, I wanted to get him stuffed and put a bottle opener in his mouth. And so we could sit there and I could be out of open beers. We just him. lost so many listeners <laughs> right well, there. <laughs> I was like, at least then I could spend forever with him. It'll be cool. We'll get to travel him around. Like in, um, do you ever watch that show Scrubs? They had that with their dog Rowdy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to do it. Yeah. Uh, okay, moving on. That's that really, dog. So that Glenn dog. does not have a stuffed dog on his wall. I was lying. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't have a stuffed dog. It's a, it's a picture, of, picture of a dog. So that dog up there, that she was bred by a lady that lives on the border between Melbourne and Sydney, a lady named Joy Bells. And her kennel name was is Rotvel. She's still around. And she was very prolific. She's probably one of the pioneers in bringing Roddies in. And long story short, she in even in her 60s, and I mean, she'd be well past that now, she was living on a property by herself with about 20, 30 Roddies in there. Mm. And handling her, the, all those dogs herself, when that lady told those dogs to move, you would see black and tan bums disappearing into kennels, mm-hmm. you know. And she didn't go. She wasn't a hard lady. She was. She believed in. She was one of the pioneers of keeping tails on roddies, everything like that. So she was. She was a, a soft handling person. But when she said move, those dogs moved, and she was into working breed roddies. And not a big lady, not a tall lady, not a not a heavy set lady. She was actually quite small and quite fine. But good mental aptitude. Good mental aptitude. I think the thing people miss when they start looking at training methodologies, whether you're talking about positive positive methods or, you know, uh, compulsion-based methods, I think what a lot of people miss, but they don't see when they watch the watch the thing, is that line of responsibility between the handler and the dog, that social relationship. Like, again, you take a dog like a working Roddy, 
you know, a dog that's designed to take damage. Like you see like these dogs in the sport world, they're on the bite and they're taking, you know, physical damage, especially you get to play the KMPV level. Like they're wailing on those dogs and they're not letting go. Mm. Right. If that dog will take that kind of abuse, abuse of wrong word, like, <laughs> like I don't mean abuse in terms of abusive, but, <gasps> How dare but you, when they're taking that kind of, that, that kind of, when they're in that kind of fight mm. and somebody's doing that sort of thing to them and they're committed, they're not letting go. Do you really think that it's the prong collar alone the little the, yeah. the feeling the prong cards that's motivating them. Like if a dog will not let go of a porcupine when it's getting quilled. Yeah, that's right. You know, that prong collar is not the primary motivator. People think the prong collar is what's making the dog do it. But it's with that prong collar connects to connects the dog's head to what it says about the relationship with that handler. It's the same thing with the piece of kibble. Like I use kibble as my food reward. Just plain, it's good kibble. It's not like, you know, the cheap shit, mm. but it's kibble. Mm. It's not, I'm not using fucking bacon and, <laughs> you know, raw meat. It's kibble. Yeah. A little piece, one little piece of kibble. The dog's like, oh my God, you gave me a piece of kibble. It's the most amazing thing ever. The kibble isn't that good. It's the dog's not working for that kibble. That, that kibble represents the dog, a physical manifestation of my pleasure with what he did. And it's a relationship marker. Like, like I always say it's like getting gold stars on your homework when you're a kid. Like that gold star doesn't buy you shit. You can't do anything with it. Mm. Right, but you take it home. And go look. I got a gold star on my homework because it's a social reward, mm. social and, currency. Exactly, and I think that's what people miss. So it does, you don't have to be big to register the dog. Your disappointment with the dog, which is why we can do what we do. Like you talked about this, this, this workshop. I don't know how many dogs we worked this week, this this past three weeks, but it was a lot. Mm. And and in every case, we're working in that social parameter. Like yeah, we're giving them food, but. Who was it? Was it you or Jay that was talking about introducing the disapproval cue? Mm, we both have a no reward marker, but I think you're probably talking about Jay. Yeah, it's Jay, Jay that goes the like, oh no, as yeah, like, like, as he's as he's highest, yeah, negative mm. marker. And and I was watching uh, online in a few of the comments where people said they either do that now or they've been trying it more since they've been at the seminar, and they've said they're quite surprised how effective it has been with their dogs. Mm. Which, I mean, if a dog's living you with you, it's going to develop those social cues as well. Yeah, I think dogs read the situation. I always try to explain that to people. Like when their dog is in an excitable situation and then you are in the same, even though you're yelling, no, stop that. Mm. Your dog thinks you're yelling, let's fuck shit up together. (laughs) (laughs) It's a strange thing, isn't it? Like like people will... Like they'll tell, well, calm down. Why don't you calm down? And yeah. like, if you can't regulate your own emotions, yeah, isn't it unfair if you'd ask the dog to regulate theirs? Like, quite literally, it is. It is the dumbest thing. Like, like, well, we- it's one of the highest forms of anthropomorphism, and that's mm. the issue with it is that people automatically believe you live in a house with me. You're part of the family. You understand. You have that cognitive ability to take on what I'm trying to explain to you. But I think it's it's the opposite of anthropomorphism in a sense. Like if you think about it, they're actually holding the dog to a higher standard. If I am incapable of regulating my emotions with my fully developed prefrontal cortex, with my ability to actually, like dogs don't have the ability to reason through emotions. Mm. They feel the same emotions we do, but what humans can do that I that dogs can't do is go, hold on, you're overreacting. Yep. Let's break this down. Dogs can't do that. Humans are humans and maybe other primates. I don't know, but at least humans are, we have the ability to change our emotional state through, through reason. We can We're work more our, deductive in it, but we can work our, we, we can do, we, it can work the opposite too. We can work ourselves into a lather over something. Like, well, she's supposed to call me five minutes ago. Mm. What, what's wrong? Like, why hasn't she called me? And we can turn that into a crisis, you know, 
we have that ability too, or we can, it works both ways, Mm. but dogs don't have that. So if we, with our capacity to go, wait a minute, I'm overreacting, take a deep breath. Let me calm down. If we are incapable of regulating our emotions at that moment in time, how the fuck can we expect the dog to do that? Mm. Right. It is not anthropomorphism. We're actually holding the dog to a higher standard than we hold ourselves, which is, it's just tyranny. It's wrong. Mm. Like it's, 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 it's illogical and it's mean. It's mean spirited, like like yeah, yeah, it is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're taking that over. Yeah, I'm yeah. just yeah. Well, I guess that that's quite relevant because yeah, if you're asking the dog to do something that you're incapable yourself of doing, yeah, it is a form of tyranny. I mean, well, I mean, we ask them to sniff things out that we can't sniff because they have a better capacity for sniffing. Yeah. Right. But we have a better capacity to regulate our emotions. Mm. So it would be like the dog asking us to sniff something out for him. Hey, I'm having trouble finding this. Can you go sniff? Hunt? Can you? I can't find the trailer rabbit. Can you find it for me? Like, if you can't do it, there ain't no chance I'm going to do it. Mm. But we're doing that. But we're getting mad at them for failing. Mm. Like, you need to regulate your emotions. You need to regulate your emotions. You know, and our heart rate's going up. Our eyes are dilated and we're, bleh, right? We're shaking with rage because our dog is barking at the mailman. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not, we're unable to, if we're unable to regulate it, we can't blame the dog. Yeah. Like that would be like them saying, why can't you sniff this rabbit? I can't find it, but you should be able to find it. Like, no, bro, you got that mixed up <laughs> you know, mm. in terms of our abilities. So yeah, it's, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, you know, the other week when you were here and I was getting Remy to out and it's a tricky part with any dog, right? That likes to bite is getting them to out. And something I've noticed over the years is a lot of the advice is, you know, use your big boy voice and yell at him and get him to out because you're trying to break through. He's in that fight and you've got to break through to it. But I have never done that. And I know that it can be successful, but I tend to go over and talk him and because he's in the fight and that's why he's not outing. Mm-hmm. So I tried to go over and be like, hey, dude, I need you to out. Like the, he knows the command it's a, and he'll do it if he hears it. And then it's a case of like, hey, But it's very conflicting me. for a dog at that point. Yeah, that's it. And mm. it's, but it's more, more of a like, cause I'm going to let him rebite. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's mm. a case of showing him, Hey, I need you to do something so that you can do this again. Because if you go over there with the out, God damn it, then he, the chances of him going back in, uh, he knows are limited. It's not going to work as well. So I definitely agree with you. I think that for that, for sure, especially staying as calm as you can while the dog's in crisis is, is not easy to do, but it is the right thing to do. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it's, it is human nature. We, again, we're primates and we respond to everything with, like our rage system is really super strong. Like it's it's really easy for us to go to that that place. And again, evolution, natural selection has favored, has favored primates who do that. Like, because mm. we get into a fight, it's really fatal. So we go, oh, big, bad, mean monkey, and I'm going to pound you. And, and we end up, we win or we lose. If we win, we get the resources. We lose. We're banged up and bruised up, but we can still, you know, climb a tree, you know, do what we have to do to survive. We can still hunt tomorrow. You know, in the dog world, in the canine world, fights have real consequences. And even if you win, you can still die three days later from infections. Yeah. So natural selection is not favor the dog who is super, super quick to use violence. And so they, they're essentially peacemakers. They use, you know, ritualized violence, you know, chest bumping and, you know, mouth wrestling and, and things like that. That's where the, you know, the alpha role comes from is, okay, you win, I give up. Like it's all a way to avoid having to use those deadly weapons Mm -hmm. to settle conflicts. And so when we turn on the mean monkey gene, Dogs are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, where did this come from? Mm. You just jumped several levels of escalation. It doesn't make sense to them. 
Like, and that adds to their ability, or that diminishes their ability to self-regulate because now they're in another crisis. It's not just that there's a mailman axe murder outside. Now there's the axe murderers in the house. He's acting irrationally. Like, you're supposed to be my leader, bro. And you're acting insane by my standards. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a mess. Hey, I just want to segue in there for a second. That's um, my job. I'm the segue guy. I know you're the segue guy, but I'm, I'm, I'm stealing your okay. segue. I accept it. Just on Chad's point about wolves before, when I was on holidays, I was watching, as you do, you tend to watch quite a lot of National Geographic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was sitting in the room one day and I was just watching National Geographic as I was. And a wolf documentary come up. And I don't know if this is true because I don't always support the fact that just because it's on TV, it's fact. What? But they were talking. I know. What? Terrible, isn't it? But Whoa. What, what, so what happened was there was a wolf documentary and they were talking about a, a pack of wolves that when resources are low and it's wintry conditions, uh, they will turn on their own family members and kill, eat and consume their own family members. Mm-hmm. From how do they decide? Do they all do it at once or is it a free-for-all? Is it like King of the Ring? Is it they turn on one guy? Do they have a meeting? Is it like Survivor? They, they did actually show a pack of wolves where they were validating this by showing the actual footage of a, like a family pack of wolves that had turned. And I was quite sad. I was actually quite saddened by the thought that that would happen. But, I mean, look, in starvation and in crisis. Yeah, you got to do what um, you got to do. Well, I mean, people are been known to being reduced to cannibalism in those type of events. But, that, yeah, they did show a, a family of wolves, not a, not a uh, intervening family or a competing pack, but the same family killing and eating and, and, and consuming a, um, a member of their pack. So mm. That's interesting. I wonder if it was an older one because... It didn't appear to be. It didn't appear to be. I have in my career seen probably a half a dozen times that people have come to me. They have, you know, suddenly their dogs, they have multiple dogs, like five or more dogs in their household. And suddenly they're coming home and finding one of the dogs, you know, at that store being attacked by the other dogs. Mm-hmm. And it's always an older dog. And mm. so far, I think 100% of the time they take that dog to the vet, they find out it's riddled with cancer. Yep. And it's like, it's almost always shepherds that are doing it too. Like they go, you're going to die and you're draining resources. So we're just going to take you out of the process like you're not you're there's something wrong with you and you're no longer valuable to us Mm. and it sort of does destroy the sort of romanticism Mm. of of the canine that we have in our head it's a very practical practical mindset but it's 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 you know it's hard it's it was really hard for me to accept that because i had this idea of these dogs being these noble and you know uh just altruistic creatures that are always going to take care of their own no matter what like like uh, wolves wouldn't need welfare because they take care of their own and this sort of nonsense and apparently it's, it's when when resources are 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 even when resources are plentiful there's still that instinct to go you are a drain and you need to die mm. and damn nature yeah it's, it's, brutal. it's scary like like it's 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 we have to look at the dog for what it is not what we want it to be you know i, I sometimes have when people come in when they have little purse dogs I'm like, pull his lip back. Look at those teeth. <laughs> what is that? It's not me. I think it's me. <laughs> um, That's that monster yeah. growling in, your, yeah. in yeah. your tummy. That's why they call it monster. <laughs> <laughs> That's the predator, though. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. pull those, you get it. People, I, I one time toyed with the idea of writing a book called Predator in the Living Room. Mm-hmm. That was about that. Glenn, quickly. Well, you're editing this, get it. online, <laughs> register that name. <laughs> um, what was it? Predator in the Living Room. 
No, it was Predator in the bathroom. <laughs> Predator in the bedroom. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that book already exists. <laughs> well, it does now. Fifty Shades of Stay. <laughs> but no, it's it's just one of those things. Like I think it's, it's it, we we do have these these nasty little creatures living in our in our homes. And, mm. I mean, we we earn their trust and they earn our trust. And I mean, because they're living with the worst predator of all, the most deadly predator on the. I saw. On Facebook, some, you know, people, dog trainers are terrible when it comes to dogs and kids. Like we have this, like, we have this horror story written in our head. Every time someone's posts a picture of a dog and a kid together, like, oh my God, this is. What'd the kid do? Well, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> like this, 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 the story is this woman had posted a picture of her child with a pit bull and they were sleeping together. Literally the kids like laying on the pit bull. They're mm-hmm. both asleep. Happy. I thought it was a beautiful picture. We, like, we used to do that. Uh, in abundance before it became an hysteria. Yeah. I, before the media made it so popular by culturizing it into this hysterical stigma. Well, uh, and the thing is, as dog trainers, we have a skewed data set. Like, mm. people call us up every time that situation goes wrong. Yeah. Like, anytime someone calls us to tell us about their dog and their kid, it's a problem. So Can, we're more sensitive to the statistics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like so we have this skewed data set. But the truth is, most of the time, that's not an issue. And I saw this picture. It was just a, I thought it was a cute picture. And I read the comments and it was like, oh, you know, this poor woman just got eviscerated. Like it was terrible. And even after she relented and said, okay, um, you're right. I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to follow the advice. Like she took the advice, which I don't think she should have. I think they, you know, she told them all, told them all to go to hell. But she said she's going to take their advice. And then the next day, a trainer puts up, you know, I'm going to allow, allow my offspring to hang around this predator said no species ever. And my first comment was, yeah, but I think for the most part, dogs are pretty, are, are pretty wise to let humans interact with their pups. <laughs> right. You know, and then boom dish, yeah, but, but it's true. Yeah. Well played. Statistically speaking, your kid is safer with a dog of any breed than he is with an adult male human. Mm. Yeah. Like the chances of your being dog being your kid being killed by your husband or your you know, uncle or their uncle is far greater, far greater than being killed by a dog. Mm. Like it's just, it's, it's not even close. And we never say, Oh, don't leave your kid alone with your, with your husband. Nobody would say that. Yeah. But statistically speaking, I'm loath to quote Ian Dunbar, but I remember hearing him once say that this year, 10 kids will be killed by their family pet. And that's, that's a horrific thing. And that 10 is too high a number. But 1,500 kids will probably be killed by their own parents. Yeah. Mm. So that, you know, that's just, well, I haven't checked his, da- his, ma- his maths, but it isn't that likely. Although I will say, I think that a lot nowadays people are breeding a lot of unstable dogs compared to in the past. Like I think that if there is a rise in that, it would be because now people are prone to make excuses for dogs, whereas in the past they would just remove that dog from the bloodline. I'm sure, I know you know, Glenn, because I'm, I'm thinking of... The same people you would be thinking of who, who, and I'm sure you've seen it chat as well, people who have bred dogs that have no business being bred and, and are nervy, shitty dogs. And it, if that's if that's fine, if that's your nervy, shitty dog and you want to keep him forever, perfect. But mm. don't don't reproduce from that dog. The meanest dog I ever saw in my life was a corgi. Yeah. And, this, and, and I love corgis, but this dog came to me. He was, she, she was four months old. And the owners came in, and they had just rips all up and down. Both both owners all up and down both arms. At four at four months old, this dog was savaging their arms, just a complete shit show. And like I tried to put a collar on this dog, and the dog was having none of it. Like it took me an hour to get a collar on this dog, 
I mean, this dog was already wearing a flat collar, but I was trying to get a training collar on the dog and just, just like, like a little fucking gremlin. It was terrible. Mm. And it, it took a long time to get a handle on that situation. And, uh, I told them at some point in time, you know, the, the breeder who sold you this dog is a piece of shit. Mm. Like this dog should have never made it out of the breeding. This dog was, is, should not have been given to a family. Like this dog should not have been, but this is your dog now. You love it. I understand that. We got to fix it. But your breeder should never put you in this position. Like mm. this is, this is not a pet. This is, this is, you know, <laughs> this is not a dog that needs to be in a home, you know, with people. Like, was it a, a genetic issue or was it a, a critical period issue? I mean, that's, that's a thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult as a breeder. And I mean, I know that because we breed and mm-hmm. I know, I, I know there's a, there's a concept which we call the, the, the breeder on a handshake. And that is, I've done what I need to do. You now need to follow that advice. You need to you need to continue on that line and make sure this dog has a lot of social experiences. Yeah, I'll just say, you know, I've been in this game a long time and I've seen a lot of people do a lot of stupid things to screw their dogs up. I have never seen a dog that, that, that was that far gone at any age, much less four months old. How much the owners could have done to screw that up at that age seems to be fairly insignificant compared to the price, the the compared to the role that genetics and early experiences are going to play. So you're basically saying that that dog was mentally unstable and it's just been a it, there, it, through your assessment. I mean, I, I can't say like you know it's again there's a genetic component, there's an environmental mm. component, right? The right genetics or the wrong genetics and the wrong yeah, environment. Yeah work together yeah like there it is yeah so i'm not saying it was just that but mm-hmm. i'm saying if the genetics weren't there no, no amount of environmental pressure could have created that dog like the dog had to have the genetics for that instability yeah i'm not saying that in a different circumstance that dog might have been different but there had to be there had to be clues there had to be warning signs there had to be some yeah. sort of of marker that this dog was headed down that was could go de- go that route and nobody saw it like at, and by the way, they brought the dog to me at four months old. That's not when the problem started. The problem started pretty much, you know, when they got the dog at like eight weeks. Mm. So, so if it's not genetics, or again, breeders also provide the early environment. Mm. So before the dog goes home, the 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 genetics and environment have been completely out of the owner's hands, and that's something that I do stress with clients when they want to get a dog. I tell them like the people always come to me. They go. I want a German Shepherd or I want a Rottweiler or I want a Lhasa Opsa or whatever. And I always tell them, don't pick the breed. Mm. I said, pick five breeds that you would like to own, that you think you could own. I think some of the issues, Chad, is that a lot of people, some people, it's not a matter of being unethical. Some people are just blinded. Mm-hmm. They're blinded by their... There's a saying that a, a colleague of mine said to me many years ago is don't let your ambitions get mixed up with your capabilities. And unfortunately, a lot of people do let their ambitions was get mixed Boyd up. Was that Boyd said that? No. It's a classic army saying that one. Is it? Yeah. It's a good saying regardless. But you were saying, Chad, so pick five breeds. Yeah, pick five breeds that you think you could own and then visit three breeders of each of those breeds. Yeah. And at the end of the day, pick the breeder you like the best, not the dog, not the breed you like the best. Mm. Like, and ask the right questions. Like, we go through, these are the things to look for when you visit the breeder. You know, these are the warnings, the sort of red flags to avoid. Ask the questions, see the dogs, see how they're housed. Don't do the thing. So many people get in trouble because they see a dog that's living in terrible conditions. They go, oh, I want to rescue that one. Mm. I mean, that's noble. That's noble, but you're going to need me then. Like, if you follow the advice we give you to pick a dog, you may not need a trainer. You know what I'm saying? You'll have mm-hmm. a good dog that, 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 that can fit in with your family nicely. But if you go, 
oh, that dog looks so sad. I want that dog. You're going to need a trainer. Like, mm-hmm. th- th- just understand that you're not, you're, you're not buying a problem-free dog. It's not like they're going to be, I'm so gra- glad that you rescued me. And now I'm going to be, yeah. you know, it's the, a, it's a future Charles Manson in the waiting. Well, well, even, even house training, this dog's been living in his own shit and piss for, you know, eight weeks. Mm-hmm. He's not going to have an aversion to it. So you're going to have a dirty dog. Yeah. You know, and those are those are the worst. That's the worst thing from a house training perspective. That's the biggest problem that you ever run into as a dirty dog. Yeah. Just on that point, have you guys ever looked at the history of Charles Manson as a child? Like what he Uh. was? Yeah, he was raised like a lot of people look at him and say he's just this crazy guy that just had this delusions of grandeur and so forth. But he was absolutely tormented as a child. You know, like, I mean, it's a classic example of what you were just talking about, Che. 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 Che and Jay is now Che. <laughs> che. We need to start on Facebook page. Che. Well, that's how I'm booking the next tour. The Che. The Che, the che, che tour. tour of Australia. The Australian Che tour. <laughs> It's like Brangelina, they change. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a. a congl- I'm doing this too. I was gonna, gonna edit get a con- this out, but we've made such a fucking story of it now that I can't get rid I'm of it. I'm gonna get a conglomerate of your faces, like put them together, and then I'm gonna get the classic Che Guevara type, you know, the, the t-shirt look. And I'm gonna put it in that, and I'm gonna call it Che's Tour of Australia. It's gotta say "God damn it, Linda" on the back. Yeah, that's what's gonna have. You could have, just some, a you could have like a little caption, like "I'd go gay for Che." <laughs> Oh my oh word! Oh God, you horny! Oh boy! <laughs> wow! Okay, Glenn, <sighs> edit all that out, <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> Is that no, going? You're telling us? No, I gave it. Okay, you're talking about Charles Manson. Yeah, just when you look at that that classical bad history, like when John Paul Scott did all that work with young canines in their infancy, when you're looking at that window people argue whatever it is but it's let's say six to 16 weeks the equivalent in human years for charles manson i mean he was a tormented child Mm. i think his mother was quite loose as an individual i don't know her i'm just going basically on what i've read in history because i found him such an interesting and enigmatic character that i wanted to know why such a person got to a point in their life the way they did and it's psychologically it intrigued me so i wanted to know more so as a young child, I think that he was beaten up. I think he was pretty much given to the system to deal with. And I think he was abused and beaten, if I recall right. I'd have to reread it to revisit it again. But when you look at what he turned into because of his previous environment, I, I understand why that happens with dogs. And I understand why that happens with terrible breeders and these shitty puppy farmers who raise their their pups in squalor they never see light but you know like these dogs that have never experienced grass before and they get out and have panic attacks on grass that sort of conditions is unforgivable yeah it really is well it's like i say it to almost every client you got to live with the monster you create mm. so be careful yeah you know the last time i said that and really meant it was to some people that owned a cavoodle that had they had turned into a, a seriously dominant aggressive dog mm. And it wasn't in the dog. It was it was created by by the treatment of him. Well, I actually wanted to give them a Malinois. I said, I wished, <laughs> I wish that I had a litter that I could give you and take the dog off you because you have built a monster, a fearless monster in your home. Um, I wish that I could give you a working dog to raise for me. I'll come back and take it eight months later and put it to work. Mm. Well, um, that's quite. Oh, I remember you telling me about that dog. Yeah, that I had to put a, a bite suit on for yeah, a caboodle. Yeah, yeah, I remember you telling me that um, he nailed you on the legs a few times. Yeah, and yeah. a full punching in yeah. grip. Like, 
like take this. And you, you were so it. impressed that saying that if he was a working dog, you'd be. Like, I was like, this is, if this wasn't a cavoodle, I would be offering you money. Hmm. But there, I, there is unfortunately no market for cavoodles. If anyone's listening and you have, <laughs> if, you're, if, you're a after a, if you're after a working cavoodle, he's pretty <laughs> he's pretty strong in the legs. I won't deny it. Although it should be fixed by now. But if Chad, it, your point before when you were talking about nobility in rescue, I absolutely concur with that. I think there's there's huge nobility in rescue. However, you've got to be prepared for for what you're taking in. Well, yeah, that's the problem is people people want to rescue the dog, and, and that's there is there. I mean, I. I'm totally behind that, you know, mm, but, fine. but there's a, 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 a disconnect in terms of they expect really, this is the anthropomorph that's type of anthropomorphization that really gets dogs in trouble is they expect the dog to be grateful and therefore treat their house different. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like they're like, I well rescued you. Make yeah, that a soundbite. Yeah. I rescued you and therefore you should do anything I want because without me, you'd have this, you know, I am your savior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, that's, that is, that's a, that's a quite a. That's a soundbite. It is a soundbite. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Put that. That's in a, a that, that's a soundbite. <laughs> Problem is that when the when you rescue with that, you're not rescuing for the dog. It's again comes down to me. I want to. I think that's a lot of the case. You know, a lot of the time. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's. I need to feel good about me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they again, you know, I tell you one of the most heartbreaking stories I ever ever occurred in my career. Uh, last time I was on the podcast, I told a tearjerker. So guess what? I got another <laughs> one for you. <laughs> um, but I was working at a vet clinic and a woman brought in a Gordon setter. And I had never seen a Gordon setter in real life before. I'd seen him in pictures, but I'd never seen one before. And the dog was vomiting every time he ate a vomit. Every time he ate, he vomited. But he was maintaining weight. So he was getting enough nutrition. Like he was vomiting, but he was not starving. And she wanted the dog put down. She was not a client of this vet. She was, she'd never been there before. And I'm assuming her vet had said, no, like I'm not doing that, which why she was without us. And, uh, they took the dog. I was so upset. I was like, why did you take this dog? Like, why didn't you send her back in? Like, I don't understand why you're going to do this for her. Like this dog is healthy. And the vet was like, we were one of the few clinics that would sedate the dog before we stopped the heart. And most vets don't do that, especially on a case like that. And so, um, he was like, listen, she's going to find somebody who will do this for her. And at least if we do it here, we'll do it right. The dog won't suffer. The dog won't experience a heart attack. And I said, man, let me take him for a walk. And then he'll get loose. Like, just let me take him for a walk. I'll lose him. Like, the the leash broke, whatever. Mm -hmm. Say whatever you want. He's like, I'll lose him. I can lose my license. We can't even talk about that. And I'm like, oh, God, what do I do? You know, it's, it's heartbreaking. Because this dog, and, and I, we said, I told her, I said, I, or we went up to her. I didn't, but one of the people that worked there went up to her and offered to adopt the dog for her. Mm. You know, can we adopt the dog? You know, we'll be happy. We'll, we'll adopt. We won't charge you anything. Just let us keep the dog. We'll find it a home. And she goes, I can't put somebody else through what I've been through. And at that moment in time, I just, my heart filled with hate for her because it wasn't about her dog. It was never about her dog. It was about her story. So she could go, she could call her friends and say, I had to put my dog down today because I felt so bad for him. And I could have found him another home, but somebody else would have suffered this terrible fate that I've suffered of having to clean vomit out of their carpets once in a while. And (laughs) and it's a terrible thing. And so, and her friends are going, oh, you're so noble. You're Mm -hmm. so wonderful. Come here. Let me hold you. We'll have a drink together. We'll all feel sorry together. And just, I just, my heart filled with rage. I just filled with rage like I couldn't like I 
And we had a vet that was a relief vet that was working there. He wasn't there. He was often there on Saturdays, which was the only day I worked. And he went into the surgery room to do this by himself. And I saw him go in there by himself with the dog on a leash. And I said, I said, nobody's helping him. He's facing it on his own. I got a tremendous feeling of guilt. So I went in to, to help. And it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And, you know, I remember this moment for the rest of my life, like a fucking powerful. Just before he pushed the juice, Doug was already sedated. Doug was unconscious. Like, Doug was going to feel nothing. But just before he pushed the juice, I heard him say under his breath, I don't think I was intended to hear it. But he said, God forgive me. Oh, that's that's and, shit. No and, wonder vets have got such a high suicide rate when they're dealing with that sort of crap on a on too too often a basis. We you know we we arrange for the dog to be stored for cremation pickup, mm. and once that was done, I went to the bathroom and I just sat on the floor and I bawled like a baby for five minutes. Yeah, like it was the shittiest thing I've ever done to a dog in my entire life. And I come from old school training. I've done some pretty terrible things to dogs in the name of training, but this was the the hardest thing I ever did to a dog. And and there was no there was no easy answer. Like if the vet wanted to keep his license, he had to do this, or he could watch the dog go to someplace else where it wouldn't be done as humanely. Mm-hmm. And it was just like there was no good answer. It was a, it's a terrible game of would you rather. Mm. But that man, that man went in there by himself with no help because he knew he had to do something unpleasant. He hated doing it. He did it anyway because it was his fucking job. And it was a terrible thing. But it was the only option he had. And like mad respect for him. I don't know if he cried, but I know I did. I know it was terrible. It was heartbreaking. Mm. It's the shittiest thing I've ever done. Uh, with some of these occupations like veterinary and people in in rescue which is not really an occupation it's a it's a tremendous what would you call it load to carry yeah tremendous load to carry with some of these choices occupations and choices i'd never seen such burnout in people in those two fields like dog trainers cop it a lot i know and there's a lot of times where they're they're feeling the the hard end of the stick but the look on some of the vets' faces, especially when healthy dogs are being presented to them, which is the story that you've just been told. And it's staggering, the amount of amount of these people who are taking their lives over that same thing. But people in rescue, I mean, geez, they, they cop an absolute fucking beating. Mm. They really do. And, I mean, they're such giving and such empathetic people, and yet they uh, – and they'll do anything they can. Like, you know, they, they – at their own expense, they ruin their cars, they ruin their their homes. I mean, their homes get trashed with all the dogs they take in there. Mm. You know, they, they have to share their children, their own dogs with these rescue dogs and so forth. It's it's really – I don't know. It's a whole – I mean, I, I know we, we've said this in a few episodes, but we're really – we're going to speak to Dallas about it one day. Yes, um, we need to do that. Dallas in Canberra that, that comes up here and she's a wonderful person. But uh, I'd really love to hear it from somebody who's been in the thick of it for as many years as she has and dealing with the stuff that she's been dealing with. But, yeah, um, I digress. All right. Well, I want to go train some dogs, but I'm not prepared to finish on that. So, Chad, tell us of all the dogs that you worked with here in Australia over the last three weeks, which one was your favourite? Name it and, or, or the person – Pick a favorite. That's that's going to be that, a that's tough mean. one. That's, that's, it's, 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 it's impossible. First of all, I'm terrible with names. So Describe the dog. 
Okay, before you answer that, Sydney or Melbourne? That's even hard to say. Like, <laughs> like, oh. I like it how Brisbane just didn't even get a mention. <laughs> you know, well, there was that that Fox Terror in Brisbane. Oh, yeah. That's it's got a little photo of you giving the oh, yeah, profile, the little, profile yeah, yeah, That yeah. dog was fun. Yeah. It really... It, they all, like, there's so many, they all blur together. You know what I'm saying? Like, I will tell you that the one I remember most was the- That's so fucking conservative of you. No, the, the <laughs> one I remember most is not the one I'm happiest with, but the one that, because it's typical of my own personality, the one that I, that I that I remember most was Prince, the dog that was here in Sydney, um, that was hand shy. Which one was Prince? He's uh, like a little pity. Can't remember the lady's name. Oh, Lisa Ray. It was it Lisa Ray's yeah, dog? Lisa yeah. dog? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and the reason why I remember that dog was because I made such a mess of that session. I had. Shown- I'm trying to finish on a high here. Would you help well, me out? <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to. I, I, I mean, I've. I feel like I helped a lot of dogs while I was here. I feel like there's a lot of good stuff, but in my head is I don't remember those, those like learn like prediction era, right? Like when it goes the way you plan to, you don't learn anything. You go, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that worked out good. Mm-hmm. You know? And you're not surprised. You're not startled. You're like, Oh wow, that was nice. And you go, you move, you move on. It's the ones that don't go the way you want to go that, that stick with you. So mm-hmm. it's a hard question. I mean, I don't know. We did dozens of dogs. Yeah. yeah. It's impossible. Um, to say, I mean, uh, I there was a little puppy when I was doing the the little private lessons in uh, Melbourne. There's this little puppy, and uh, oh yeah, he wasn't even she Scott's wasn't she, puppy, she yeah. wasn't even there for the she lesson. was the distracted she dog. was the distraction, <laughs> and and I was having so much fun with her. That guy was really good too, and and his dog I can't remember the dog's name, but his little mixed breed dog. She was really cool too. She came in and she was just, she was just too happy, like jumping up on people and all this stuff, and yeah. And we use, again, using no punishment whatsoever, um, except for d- removal of the stimulus. Um, we had that dog just, and even when I saw the dog the next day at the social workshop, she didn't jump on me. She mm-hmm. came right up and she said, and we didn't teach it. We didn't teach a default sit. We taught her not to jump. And she started, she chose to sit on her own as, as, uh, so yeah, that was offering it. Yeah. That was really exciting. And, and I will say this, that I really loved meeting all the healers that I met on uh, Tuesday at the socialization workshop. Cause you gotta understand we don't have healers in the United States. Oh, we, the blue healers, and yeah, blue yeah. and red healers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we have we have them, but we don't have them. In other yeah, words, yeah. What's called a healer there? Yeah. You can tell it's the same breed, yeah. but it's like looking at a working line Malinois versus a show line Malinois. They're yeah. not the same dog. They, yeah. Yes, you can tell they're the same dog, but they're not the same dog. Oh my God, the healers you have here—they're awesome. Like I love them. I'm like, I, I was like, oh, this is a real dog. This is like, like, I see about eighty percent of the healers I see for training are reactive of some sort, human and mm-hmm. or dog. And they're just nasty little turds. Like they just, you know, like just teeth. And, and I mean, they're, it's all confidence issues. Like none of it's true aggression, but they're, they're unstable. And, you know, we have a few that come to daycare and they're just really soft, you know, they're just simple, easy, like good pet dogs, like, yep. like not hard at all. But seeing these working dogs, like they look different, they're built different, they're sturdier, they're, 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 their fur is different. Mm. And I really, really enjoyed seeing a real, like, I was like, oh yeah, that's why people like them. I couldn't understand why they're so popular until I saw the ones here. I said, oh, I would, I would like one of these, honestly. Like, and, and also the Kelpies. I've never met a Kelpie before. We don't have them in the States. Like, like I mean, I, people say they have Kelpies, but, you know, you yeah, know what I mean? Them. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. They're quite an iconic Australian breed. Like but it's a, common, the- it's a common theme here in that people are impressed by them, for sure, because they're here in their best form. They're, they're yeah. typic- Kelpies are typically bred by farmers 
who just want working dogs. So there's no, and only the good ones are bred, you know. And, like, and I believe that both breed have somewhat derived from the dingo. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. They've had dingo spliced into them for yeah, sure to, for the robustness. Yep. Super sharp. Like watching the Kelpies learn, mm. that was really exciting because they, they are like, like the first time I saw a Malinois, the first time I worked with the Malinois, I was like, I was a German Shepherd guy till then. I worked with the Malinois. I said, oh my God, that's amazing. Mm. Like, because I never had a dog that got, that was disappointed when training sessions were over before. Mm-hmm. And this is not modern, you know, food lore. And this was old school, you know, Keeler-esque, you know, do it because I said so. And still with this Malinois, she's like, well, are we done? Why are we done? Let's mm. keep going. I got another 20 minutes to me. Why are you putting me away? That's and a I, beautiful thing to say in a dog. Oh, I loved it. And, mm. and I'd never seen it before. Under that style of training, you don't see that. Mm. Like, they're like, oh, we're done. Okay, good. You know, it's like, yeah. no, no, nobody goes, what? We're not doing five more burpees? Come on now. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> did, did you see uh, in Melbourne when, I think it was like the second time we're using Remy as a distraction, I tried to get him down the stairs when we were leaving mm. at, at Dave's place at Pro Dog. We're upstairs. And, um, we were done using Remy's distraction I, and I'd try to go down the stairs and he's like walking because I had him in a heel to the edge of the stairs. As soon as he realized we were done, he was like, it's like the surface area of his feet increased 10 times and he <laughs> locked them down. It was like, no, we ain't done. I'm, I'm playing ball up here. I don't know if you understand. <laughs> and I miss, I miss that. But anyway, the thing is with the Kelpies is, is what I realized is they're, they're trainers dogs. Like, like yeah, watching yeah. them, I was like, oh my God, these are... Like, I would, honestly, I would love to. When you watch them on a farm environment, when they're actually herding mm-hmm. and they're working, like they're on the back of a motorcycle and they just, you get to the paddock and the dog jumps off and it's, you know, like it's looking at you, waiting for its first direction. You know, mm-hmm. like, what do you want me to do? It's amazing when you see that connection between a farmer and a Kelpie because it is like they're almost telepathic. It is just incredible. It really is. And I was fortunate. My first introduction to dog, I used to spend a lot of time on my uncle's wheat farm and he had a huge head of sheep there. And he had two dogs tied up to barrels and, you know, they lived the life of Riley. They got to eat fresh food all the time. Long story short, he took me out one day. I was sitting on his lap on the motorcycle and where he's got the dog on the back and I'm like looking at the dog the whole time. I said, how come the dog doesn't fall off? And he goes, oh, you just learned how to stay on he fell off a few times and now he knows not to and you know and he'd go we'd be going over bumps where both of us would be flying through the air and the dog would sort of just be maneuvering itself like spider-man on the back of this bloody thing get to the paddock open the gate dog would run in and yeah he'd just spin around it was like ready for work and he'd go like that the dog would tear down the paddock and start pulling the sheep up to him and that was all it was just just markers through whistles but you're just watching it like that it's amazing. Uh, it is incredible. Well, it's when you beautiful. come back here, tie it's in synchronized with synchronized ballet. Yeah, with t- a dog. Tie in with the two girls at the uh, Sydney workshop. Katrina and Georgie both work yeah, yeah. work mm. stock dogs for sure. Yeah, so, and like Georgie, that's her job. She goes yeah. to other people's places to, to have her dogs yeah. work their sheep. When you come back, you really must go out and go and watch uh, some dog droving. But yeah, it, the Kelpie thing's a funny one because I was saying like one of the times Bart was here, there was a Kelpie at one of the workshops. And he's like, "That's a really good dog. That's an excellent dog. You wish you could get more of those." I said. I could get you 10 of these things for a dollar. They're free on the internet. <laughs> yeah. These are everywhere here. It's crazy because they really are. They really are. So, and the other thing is I got to see two breeds I'd never even heard of before. You know, the, the bull Arab and the oh, yeah. Marimara. Oh, yeah. The Marima. Marima. Whichever yeah. way you say it, you're going to yeah. be in trouble because yeah. it'll be wrong. Like I've never seen, I've never heard of those breeds before I came here. So that was kind of cool to see, mm. literally see breeds I've never heard of. Like, mm. and I used to study, like I used to be really geek out on breeds. Like I had, I had this breed book that had dogs that were so rare. They had, could only find drawings of them. They couldn't yeah, find right. photographs of them. Oh, and, wow. And for, for there to be book, 
dogs that I've never heard of before. That was kind of cool. Like I was like, wow. That's, yeah. There's an idea of those marimbas are cool. We're talking about how they can use them oh, to the guard. Oh, the Italian guard dogs? Yeah, they use them to guard They penguins. live in the flock, yeah. 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 Mm. So that's probably, those, those are the most, the most exciting things about the dogs here. Like I can't pick out a single dog that would be... Like, I'd be lying if I tried to. Like You're a fence-sitter. You don't want to upset. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with Look, that. Look, to it's, be honest, my original question, Melbourne or Sydney, I, I think that the fact is is that you've got to spend three weeks or however long you're here for with some, some really great people in Australia. No, it's been awesome. It's been- some people that I consider an extended family. And it doesn't matter what. So I'm, I'm originally from Melbourne. I've only been up here for eight years, and I'm – you know, there's some fa- absolutely brilliant people down there. Love spending time with them. Brent and Kat, of course. Yes. Kylie Bright and many others. There's just a myriad of people down there that you've met and they've been at your workshop. They're some of the salt of the earth in the dog training community. They're people that we're blessed to have part of our at-large group. All right. Let's yeah. go train some dogs. Chad, yeah, thank you very much for joining us for this. Thanks for having me um, again. Thank thanks you. for coming yeah, to Australia. Great. This will be your last live presentation from the country. Until we come back again. Yeah. Until you come back. Until you're back here. Yeah. For sure. And there's a big demand for out. it, as I can see. Yeah, we've got to figure out what that's going to look like next time. Mm. All right. Thanks for coming. How can people get in contact with you? Um, you can find my website at packtobasics.net. You can follow me on Facebook. And uh, you can also follow Pack to Basics on Facebook. And if you want to follow Jay and my podcast, that's Dog Training Conversations on Facebook. We don't have a website, just a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, yeah. Cool. All right, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you're hearing, please jump onto whatever subscription service you download us from, like, rate, share, tell a friend, all those things. That helps uh, more people hear us, the people we can't just harass and say, hey, listen to our podcast. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, you can do that by Facebook is the best way. We are the Canine Paradigm on Facebook. That's it. Glenn? You don't want to sing us out? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the canine paradigm <laughs> no okay i'll um, cue the music i yes, think please cue the music okay <laughs>